You're about to listen to a message by Pastor Ikena Okeke of the Father's Church. Please join Pastor Ikena Okeke and be blessed. Okay, this morning we are going to be looking at um, a chapter in the scriptures that um, I trust that the Spirit of God has something for you and I to glean from it. And we are going to First Chronicles chapter 21, and we'll be taking the entire chapter. I will read and try to jump for the sake of time, if I'm able to. If I'm not able to, we will remain here. Praise the Lord. First Chronicles 21, I'll read from verse 1. Now, Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. So David said to Joab and to the leaders of the people, Go, number Israel from Beersheba to Dan, and bring the number of them to me, that I may know it. And Joab answered, May the Lord make his people a hundred times more than they are. But my lord the king, are they not all my lord's servants? Why then does my Lord require this thing? Why should it be a cause of guilt in Israel? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Therefore Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. Then Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to David. All Israel had 1,100,000 men who drew the sword. And Judah had 470,000 men who drew the sword. But he did not count Levi and Benjamin among them, for the king's word was abominable to Joab. And God was displeased with this thing, therefore he struck Israel. So David said to God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing. But now I pray, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Then the Lord said to God, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, saying, Thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself, that I may do it to you. So God came to David and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Choose for yourself either three years of famine or three months to be defeated by your foes with the sword of your enemies overtaking you. Or else, for three days, the sword of the Lord, the plague in the land, with the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. Now consider what answer I should take back to him. And David said to God, I am in great distress. Please let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are very great. But do not let me fall into the hand of the Lord of man. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel and 70,000 men of Israel fell. And God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. And as he was destroying it, the Lord looked and relented of the disaster and said to the angel who was destroying, it is enough. Now restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of honor and the Jebusite. Then David lifted his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven, having in his hand a drawn sword stretched out over Jerusalem. So David and the elders, clothed in sackcloth, fell on their faces. And David said to God, Was it not I who commanded the people to be numbered? I am the one who has sinned and done evil indeed. But this sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, O Lord my God, be against me and my father's house, but not against your people that they should be plagued. Therefore the angel of the Lord commanded God to say to David that David should go and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Onan the Jebusite. So David went up at the word of God which he had spoken in the name of the Lord. Verse 20. Now on and turned and saw the angel and his four sons who were with him hid themselves. But Onan continued threshing wheat. So David came to Onan and Onan looked and saw David. And he went out from the threshing floor 
and bowed before David with his face to the ground. Then David said to Onan, Grant me the place of this threshing floor, that I may build an altar on it to the Lord. You shall grant it to me at the full price, that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. But Onan said to David, Take it to yourself, and let my lord the king do what is good in his eyes. Look, I also give you the oxen for burnt offerings, the threshing implements for wood, and the wheat for the grain offering. I give it all. Somebody say, I give it all. Then King David said to Onan, No, but I'll surely buy it for the full price. For I'll not take what is yours for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings with that which costs me nothing. Praise the Lord. So David gave Onan 600 shekels of gold by weight for the place. And David built there an altar to the Lord, and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings, and called on the Lord, and he answered him from heaven by fire on the altar of burnt offering. Okay, let's stop here. May the Lord bless the reading of his word in Jesus' name. Praise God. We have an interesting text before us today. And um, it's very interesting because the first line of it, if anybody who is a Bible scholar, you would want to understand what is wrong with numbering Israel. Praise the Lord. What is wrong with numbering Israel? And this account is repeated here and is also repeated in 2 Samuel 24. And interestingly, the start part, the verse 1 of 2 Samuel 24 says, God was displeased and moved. Now we understand that God is the absolute controller of the world. But God is also not responsible for all the things because men make their choices. And because God has made us in his image, and because God is love, of necessity, he must allow us liberty to make choices. The day God withdraws my liberty and your liberty, then we are no longer in his image. We must make our choices. Praise the Lord. So for some of us that are confused what is going on in the world and all of that, God is absolutely in control. And that's where the scripture that says Romans 8.28. And we know that all things do what? They work together for the good of those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. All things are not good. Praise the Lord. All things are not good. In fact, all things are not working for good. There are bad things that are happening. But once you yourself, individually, as a family, as a people, love the Lord and are working in his purpose, then all things inevitably must work for your good. Praise the Lord. So God being the supreme one, the sovereign one, is the one who, at the end of the day, sits on his table and allows and permits and blocks. That's why he can say to us, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Why? Because he says, I will not permit that one. If it's to destroy you, I will not allow it. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah, somebody. So Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. What is happening here is this. This is towards the end of David's reign. Okay, so he had had this walk with God had successfully conquered the nations around, expanded the territories, most of the land that was promised the children of Israel, you know, through Moses and Joshua. David had actually acquired them. So I believe what happened to him at this time was he began to think, let me even know how strong I am. Because this census was not a census of the entire people. It was a census of fighting men. So if you read the Bible, you, you, you will keep telling us men who drew the sword. It was a census of his military strength. And that is why Joab the commander said to him, do not do this thing. It's not necessary. Why? Because you know and we know, we that are your fighters, that the victory we have had over time as a nation has not been due to the multitude of our army. Psalm 33, 16 to 18. Someone please, you open to it. I hope you have your Bible. Psalm 33, 16. It says, no king is saved by the multitude of an army. It says, a mighty man is not delivered by great strength. 
Can you see that? No king is saved by the multitude of an army. So number does not equate to deliverance. Verse 17, please. It says, a horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by his great strength. 18 now says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy. That's why the Bible can say the race is not to the swift, neither the battle to the strong. But what? Time and chance happen to them all. God is the author and the source of every victory. Have you enjoyed victories in your life? Then I want to remind you today that it's not because of the number of your army. It is purely because of the mercy of God. The Bible says exaltation does not come from the east nor from the west. But God is what? The judge. He's the one who lifts up and he's the one who establishes. Praise the Lord somebody. So David was being, you know, he was being misled to turn his eyes away from what his source and his strength had been all the time. As Psalm 20 verse 7 again puts it this way. He says some trust in chariots. And some trust in horses. But what we would do. He said but we will what? Remember the name of the Lord our God. Yes we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. And why is this thing very key? Because I don't know about you. But in my little work with God. I've learned that there is something that is very important to God. Extremely, extremely important to God. And it's the issue of trust. Is the issue of trust. In fact, it's the beginning and the end of everything. Do you trust God? I pray that by the end of this meeting, your trust level will go double, quadruple, in the name of Jesus Christ. Because you see, when a man or woman, when a people trust God, they're secure, they're saved, they're shielded. You see, before the enemy can touch a child of God, he has to pull you out of that place of trust in God. And if he does not succeed in pulling you out, then every interaction he's having with you is tempered or interpreted by your God. Why? Because you dwell in him. But when you step out of trust, you're completely exposed. The elements hit you directly. Praise the Lord. And because of the importance of trusting in God, God also demands it of us. And because it is for our good. Praise the Lord. You know, I saw a passage in the scripture recently, and I'll show it to you. Isaiah 31 verse 1. I saw something, and God was saying something. It opened my eyes to the heart of God. Isaiah 31 verse 1. God was saying, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses. Now, here he was talking to the king of Judah. They were going to be attacked by some foreign nations. And these people were harassed and were running helter-skelter, trying to find alliances that will help them fight the battle. Now, God sent this word and said to them, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are strong. But what? Who do not look to the Holy One of Israel? Now, can you see what is happening here? God is saying you have a problem. I am the problem solver. Why are you going to places that can't help you? This is the mind of God and this is the revelation of God everyone has to catch. God wants to help us. We are in trouble because we are going to the wrong sources to solve our problem. We are defined, I believe, many years ago that lost is trying to satisfy a genuine righteous desire by unrighteous ways. Everything you're lusting for, everything you're craving for, if it's given to you naturally by God, then God has a means of solving it. But it becomes lost and dangerous when you try to satisfy it, going by means that God himself is not giving you. Praise the Lord, somebody. So we see here, God says, why are you going down to Egypt? I can help you. So look at what was the problem here. They did not look to him to help. Many of us, if we had relatives or friends or associates who had problems, you'll be glad they didn't come to you for help. Because you know why that is so? Because you are limited. You're not omnipotent. So if you help them, your source or your ability will reduce. But because God is omnipotent, helping you takes nothing from him. And because he's your father, he has already loved you with an everlasting love like we established last Sunday. So his delight is to help. But because we don't trust, oftentimes we go to other sources. 
And by going to that other sources, we incur his displeasure. Like we're going to see in this story. Verse 7 says, God was displeased with this thing. Can you imagine that? God was displeased with this thing. So we see from the story that the problem David has was that he turned Psalm 33 says, he's the one who said no king is saved by the multitude of an army. All of a sudden, why does he want to know the number of his army? Why? Because the enemy had begun to walk in him. Now, someone is watching me right now, and your own situation is not the same thing. But let me tell you how the principle abides. Somebody is not trusting or believing that what God has said to him is possible because he looks at his resources and it's not enough. But what we have learned over the past few weeks is that with God, how many things are possible? All things are possible. With God, all things are possible. The believer must learn to take away his confidence from every other thing. Even your certificates, even your degrees, as beautiful as they are, all the contacts, all the things that you have, you must learn to look beyond them. There is nothing wrong with them. They are the enablements of the Lord. It takes help to be able to have a certificate. It takes favor to be able to have contacts and all of that. But beyond all of that, your trust and your confidence must not be in them. It must be in God. Why? Anytime your confidence is in any other thing aside from God, God is not happy with you. God wants you to trust in him. And rightly so. You know why? He's the only one that is dependable. He's the only one that is reliable. The Bible says the arm of flesh will do what? Will fail you. I wanted to say some of us have experienced. Is there any one of us that has not experienced disappointment from people that you thought were sure bankers, unquote? Why? Because the arm of flesh will fail. They are unreliable. That's why the Bible says every good gift, every perfect gift comes from the Father of light. With whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning it means god is the same do you know that the sun that shines that we see during the day shines even in the night the only thing is that it's not shining in your locality god is so reliable that every time you need him he's there for you and that is why he wants us to raise our eyes to him the psalmist says i'll lift up my eyes where beyond the hills beyond the hills over and above the hills so in this covid 19 pandemic in the lockdown and all of that i know the normal thing that you would have done for income or for whatever it is you're not able to do it but if you can lift your eyes to jehovah he will show you that he makes a way where there is what no way praise the lord somebody that's the lesson He's saying, look to me, look to me. Battles are fought with soldiers, but I give the victory. I give the victory. In every issue of life. So whether it's your health, whatever it is, get the statistics. They give it to you, the facts and the figures. When you finish getting all of them, lay them by the side, fall on your knees and tell the Lord, I trust in you. My eyes are set on you. And that was what made God in this account displeased. So for somebody, please, I want you to dream big dreams. Dream big dreams because your God is big. Because your God is mighty. Because your God is able. Praise the Lord, somebody. This is the God we have been privileged to have things with. That is why the Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You must come to him because you know that he is and that he's what? Every word that God can accomplish any purpose of his. Job 42. He says no purpose of his can be what? With hell. So whatever he wants to do, he's able to do. He should be the one you should partner with. Praise the Lord. So verse 7 of our text says, God was displeased with this thing. He's displeased anytime we trust in the arm of the flesh. He's displeased anytime we look to statistics. Somebody, God is giving you an idea to do something and you're looking at what you have. You're looking at what you don't have. God is saying, look to me. Look to me. Lift up your eyes and look to me. That is what we have as people of faith. We look to Jehovah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So he said he was displeased with this thing. And verse 8 brings an interesting dimension. We have been seeing all the things David did wrong. We begin to see what he does right here. In verse 8, we see something here. Read verse 8 again for us. So David said to God, I have sinned greatly 
because I've done this thing. But now I pray, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Now, I want you to see something here for those of us who are watching, who are born again. This is a way that you can begin to measure your relationship with God. Do you know when God is displeased with you? Are you sensitive enough? The Bible reminds us or warns us or admonishes us. They grieve not the Holy Spirit with whom you have been sealed. That word grieve, you can't grieve somebody who you don't have a relationship with. For you to grieve somebody, the person has to be close enough to you. The person has to be intertwined with you. So there is a rel- something brushes up. Here we see that when God was displeased, David took note of it and said, I have sinned. I pray that your sensitivity to the pleasure of God will get to the level where you know when God is displeased with you. Some of us may have had the experience you're driving on the road and you know someone wants to get in front of your vehicle and you don't allow the person and you move on. And then the Spirit of God says, so what did you gain? And then all of a sudden you're repenting. Praise the Lord. Or maybe you spoke to somebody in a particular way which you thought was right. But after you left the environment, the Spirit of God said, what do you think you just did? Why did you speak to the person like that? That is levels of sensitivity. You know why? That is how you know you're born again. Because when the Holy Spirit is in you, he will convict you. He will tell you this is not right. This is ungodly. This is not the family nature. Praise the Lord, somebody. Those of us that are born again, we have been born into the family of God. There is a nature that runs in the family. Praise God. And that nature is love, is joy, is peace. Praise God. Is gentleness. So because we're in this world, from time to time, we might behave what the world will call out of character. But if you behave out of character and continue... To behave out of character without knowing that you've displeased the Holy Ghost, then you must get born again today. Praise the Lord, somebody. You cannot continually, that's why the Bible tells us in John, you know, the epistles of John. It says, little children, let no one deceive you. He that practices righteousness is what? Is righteous. You know, there's this confusion about the gift of righteousness and the practice of righteousness. And the Spirit of God said to me, what is the problem there? There is not a problem. Number one is that nobody can begin to be righteous except by a donation of God. So it is the gift of God that makes us righteous. Praise God. But when the gift of God is donated to you and you become righteous, then what should you now do with the donation? You walk in righteousness. Simple. He said to me, why do you give somebody a gift of perfume? If I give you a bottle of perfume and tomorrow you come near me and you're smelling like a he goat, what has happened? It means that you have not unwrapped the gift that I gave you. Because if you receive the gift, something will happen to the way you smell. So when you receive the gift of righteousness, you will walk righteously. Anybody who is not working in righteousness has not received the gift. There is no confusion. Nobody can get up and walk in righteousness unless that nature is given to him. That's why he said to us in Ezekiel, I will take away the heart of stone and put in you the heart of flesh. He says, my laws are right in your heart and mind. That's what he's talking about. Praise God. So David said here, he said, I have what? Sinned. I have sinned. This is the statement of a man who has a relationship with God. And it must be a statement. Ah, that young man begged me for this. I didn't give it to him. I have sinned. Okay, for these past days, I didn't do this. I should have done. I have sinned. It's evidence that we are being perfected. It's evidence that we are on the journey unto perfection. Praise the Lord. We are being justified, but we are being sanctified. Hallelujah. So that's sanctification daily. And like we would take note from this account, look at what was seen for David. For many people, if they do this thing, they'll be clapping for them in heaven. That they have tried, you know, they have not stolen, they have not done anything. You can imagine our leaders in Nigeria. If they want to call their sin, they say they're numbered Nigeria. Can you imagine? It's level. Somebody say level. You see, for David, his level was that God said, Abba, why are you counting people? I'm your strength. I'm your source. But if you were to judge the iniquity of the leaders of Nigeria, are you going to talk about counting? You won't even get here. Praise the Lord. So David said, I have sinned. And look at what he said. He said, I have sinned greatly. He did not minimize it. One of the dangers of today's church and the dangers of the preachers of today, all of us inclusive, is that we try to belittle sin. 
if you have read your Bible sincerely with an open heart, you know that there is only one problem. The reason we don't have the Garden of Eden everywhere today is because of sin. The reason that they're going to create a new heaven and a new earth is because of sin. Sin has destroyed this world. Praise the Lord. That's why Jesus said to us, I go out to prepare a place for you. That place where he's going to prepare for us is a place where no sin will come in. And because no sin will come in there, there will be joy there. There will be no weeping. There will be no sorrow. There will be no death. There will be no pain. Why? Because all of those things are the things that come out of sin. Is somebody getting it? So the issue of sin, never brush it aside. Never be irritated when you hear about it. Every time I preach, I make sure and emphasize this because I know God is going to ask me, did you tell them? And I'm going to say, not only did I tell them, I told myself. Praise the Lord, somebody. So he says, I've sinned greatly because I've done this thing. Now look at what he said. He said, I've prayed, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done what? Very foolishly. At the end of the day, any one of us that are sincere to ourselves, when you look at the things that they are calling sin to you, even you yourself will agree it's foolish. I wish I had better illustrations, but sometimes you're in a position to do good to somebody. And then you don't do it. Let's take it money. You know, you are to bless somebody and you don't bless the person. Then two weeks after, the Holy Ghost asks you, what did you do with that money? And then you realize that you are foolish. That if you had actually ministered to the person or blessed this person at that time, you would have had a better fruit. But because you were foolish, you did not. And now what is happening there is that opportunity has been lost. You will not miss your opportunities in Jesus' name. So David here highlights the sensitivity of a man that has a relationship, a close one with God. Because a similar scenario, uh, the king that was before David, King Saul, we know about him. In 1 Samuel 15 verse 13, when Saul sinned and his own was that somebody had to come and convince him. David here, nobody told him. You see, do you know that if everybody walked into church with a sensitivity to their work with the Holy Ghost. The preacher may not have to mention adultery, fornication, stealing, you know, backbiting and all of that. Because it's already dealt with. But it's because people come and they wear their sin and wear it and put perfume on it. And actually bold and proud in it. That's why the preacher who is sensitive to the Spirit of God must keep reemphasizing so that they can drop it and make progress. Very important. But for Saul, they had to tell him and tell him and tell him. And he defended and argued and argued and argued. Finally, 1 Samuel 15, this is what Saul said. Saul said what? He said, okay, 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 finally. I have seen, I have seen. Okay, okay, end of matter, pastor. I have seen that. I have seen. So what next? I beg, honor me. Honor me, honor me. He said, he said look at the elders of my people. He said, he said, honor me before the elders of my people. Honor me before Israel. Honor me, honor me. And then return with me that I may worship your God. That's the key there. When God is not your God, you will not feel bad about the sin. We sang Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus' blood has washed our sins away. When we continue in sin, we belittle that blood. We show that we have no value for the sacrifice. That is the key in Saul's statement. Let me go back and worship the Lord your God. Because if he were your God, you will be touched. That's why Joseph would say to Potiphar's wife, how can I commit this great sin against you? Against God. Why? Because God was his God. Praise the Lord. I pray we are learning something here in Jesus' name. So the story goes on, and David cried out to the Lord. Verse 9, then the Lord spoke to God, David here, saying, go and tell David, saying, thus says the Lord, I offer you three things, choose one of them for yourself, that I may do it to you. So God came to David and said to him, choose for yourself either three years of famine or three months to be defeated by your foes with the sword of your enemies overtaking you or else three days of the sword of the Lord. And that's where David gives us this very powerful response, also revealing to us the depth of his knowledge of God. In verse 13, David said, I am in great distress. What did he say now? He said, please let me what? Fall into the hand of the Lord. Why? He says, for his mercies are very great. We cannot emphasize it enough. God is good. God is too good. 
God is too good. I think there's a song that says, I worship you forever, I love you forever, because this God is what? This God, you know, grammatically, too good is not good. But God is too good, because so good does not capture God. Praise the Lord. When you say something is too, you take it out of what you're saying. But because God is beyond good, hallelujah. So this God is so, that David said, even in punishment, where do I want to be? I want to be in your hand. I want to be in your hand. He said, let me not fall into the hands of men. And we see the wisdom in what he did. Did they get up to three days of the plague? No, it didn't get to three days. Before the thing could go far, the Bible says the Lord had mercy. What are you saying about God? Because what you say is what you will get. Somebody say, God is good to me. Somebody say, God loves me. Somebody say, I'm the favored of the Lord. Somebody says, he causes my Lord to fall in pleasant places. Yes, God loves you. Never say, Mobile, it's not finished with you. It's just the beginning. God has plans for you. He says, I know the thoughts that I have towards you. He said, are thoughts of good and what? Not of evil. To bring you to a future and to an expected end. The psalmist said, I would have lost heart unless I had believed I would do what? I will see the salvation, the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. What are you saying about God? Because that is what David experienced here directly. What he said. He said, let me fall into the hand of the Lord. For his mercies are very great. And it was great mercy he got. Imagine if he had chosen three years of famine. Who will interrupt that? If he had chosen his enemies fighting him and defeating him. Who will stop that? But when the angel of the Lord was there from heaven. God said, this my children. They have suffered. Let me stop it. But before we leave this, I want to make a reference. You know, I may not go into details. I want to ask you a question and you can give the answer yourself. David in verse 8 asked the Lord for forgiveness. These options that the Lord gave, did it mean God didn't forgive David? David said, forgive me. I've sinned greatly. I've done this sin. I've behaved foolishly. Didn't the Lord forgive him? What do you think? Because we see here God saying, this is what is going to happen. Now let me mention here, there is a difference between punishment for sin and consequences of sin. Praise the Lord. There are consequences. That means they are the action reaction of sin, of disobedience, of things going out of the way they should be. Which is what we have in this world. We have all over the world consequences of sin. We have not seen punishment for sin. Praise the Lord. Uh, Okay, okay. I, I know I won't go into details. Maybe on Wednesday or some other time. On this earth, there is no punishment for sin. No, what we see all over the world is consequences of sin. So when the terrorist blows up a plane, it is consequences of his sin and is affecting people. Just like in this case, if you read down, you see that David was not killed. But 70,000 Israelites were killed. Children of Israel were killed. David was not killed. It was a consequence of sin. Punishment is after you have finished living this life. And they will now call you. They will ask you, these things you did, have you been punished for them? Now, for the person who is born again, when he stands before God, and they say, you did this, you did this, you did this, you say yes, but you're going to tell them that on the cross of Calvary, that's why the Bible talks about the message of the cross. On the cross of Calvary, all my sin was what? Put upon the Lord Jesus. And the judge of the whole earth will look and say, discharged and acquitted. That's what it means to be born again. That's what it means to be born again. To be born again means that the sin, the punishment for your sin is laid upon the Savior. He came to this world to bear the sins of many. And when he hung on that cross, when he said to the Father, My Father, my Father, why hast thou what forsaken me? It was because when sin is upon a man, a person, God cannot look. God has to punish. So nobody on earth is being punished. That's the point I'm making. We might be experiencing consequences of our father's sin, of our president's sin, of our, the cabal's sin. Many of us, if you're a Nigerian, you're living under the consequences of a government that knows not their left from their right. It's not punishment. Punishment is when you yourself don't make a choice for Jesus. That's why I don't know why anyone would be a Nigerian and not give his life to Jesus. Praise the Lord. You and I need him. We need him. Praise the Lord. We need him. So that while men are doing their own, you can be sure that God is working out his good purposes in us. Praise the Lord. 
So this was what David said. Let me fall into the hands of God. Not into the hands you know, of any other person. Because his message is great. And the Bible tells us, verse 15. God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy him. And as he was destroying, the Lord looked and relented of the disaster. And said to the angel who was destroying, says, it is enough. Now restrain your hand. And the Bible says, and the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of honor and the Jebusite. Verse 16, then David lifted his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven, having in his hand a drawn sword stretched out over Jerusalem. So David and the elders, clothed in sackcloth, fell on their faces. And David said to God, was it not I who commanded the people to be numbered? I am the one who has sinned and done evil indeed. But this sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, O Lord, my God, be against me and my father's house, but not against your people that they should be played. I pray that God will give you and I leaders like David. Praise the Lord. And I pray more so that God will make us leaders like David. You see, this is the difference. Our Lord Jesus speaking to us in John 10, 11, after John 10, 10, where he says the thief does not come but to steal, kill, and destroy, and come that they may have life. Verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. What is the definition or how do you show the good shepherd? He says the good shepherd lays or gives his life for the sheep. He gives his life for the sheep. You measure, you can actually measure the efficacy or the goodness of a leader by this. Does a leader put all this, you know, cost of failure on the people? Or does he bear it on himself? Is somebody getting me? Do you have a leadership like in Nigeria? I don't know if you've seen that chart, that analysis. They analyzed how much the civil servants' personal cost in Nigeria was. Over the rest of the people. And they analyze those in National Assembly and the Executive. It's shameful. Because you see that all of the money is being spent on a few hundred. Whereas the rest of the millions are suffering. That's why we're going to be struggling with 30,000 minimum wage. Whereas newspaper allowance for senators is something you know, astronomically higher. Why? Because these men are not leaders. They're not shepherds. They're hirelings. They are there to take everything they can get. That's the problem. And especially more so in Christian leadership. If you're listening to me and you're a Christian, I pray that in your office, I pray that in your workplace, I pray that in your church, everywhere you are, that you are not a hireling. You're a shepherd that gives his life for the sheep. You know why? The reward of the shepherd is the sheep doing well. I don't understand how somebody can be a leader of a country and you're seeing people being killed. Do you know that under this lockdown, they're still massacring people in southern Kaduna, all over the places, and it doesn't affect you because you're sick. It just shows that you're a foreigner. Praise the Lord. But we see David here, an example of a leader. He said, it is I that have sinned. Why are you punishing the people? Turn that on me. And you know what? That is what pleases God. Because it reminds him of himself. God is the one. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Anyway, we move on from there because of time. So the Bible says, verse 18, Therefore the angel of the Lord commanded God to say to David, that David should go and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Onan the Jebusite. So David went up at the word of God, which he had spoken in the name of the Lord. Now Onan turned and saw the angel of the Lord and his four sons, who were with him hid themselves, but honor continued threshing with. Proverbs 28 verse 1 says something. We know it very well. We always put the second part. The first part says, the wicked flee when what? No one pursues. The second part says, but the righteous are what? Are bold as a lion. The Bible said this man, I saw this, I said, what? This man was in his threshing floor. He lifted up his eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord with a sword drawn. And he continued what he was doing. Now, let me address something here. You know, at the beginning of this pandemic, there were fears. Is this the end? You know, is rapture about to take place? Is it the beginning of tribulation? Is it this or is it that? Let me answer all of that question. Our Lord Jesus Christ said, it is not for us to know what? The times or seasons that the Father has put in his hands. But you know what our Lord Jesus said? He said we should be ready. Now, when you're ready, it doesn't matter whether it's yesterday or today or next tomorrow. Is somebody getting in? 
this man honor was such in a stable place of relationship if we could use the word of righteousness or right standing that when he saw the angel with sword he wouldn't hide the bible says he fought children hid i don't know why they hid maybe one was into pornography maybe one was into sexting maybe one was a thief i don't know why they hid but this man having examined himself said where am i running to i've lived my life before you so he continued the bible says in that verse 20 what it says on and did what continued threshing wheat he continued he was ready if he stood there, i'm ready to go child of god if you don't get anything from this meeting please make sure you're ready don't postpone it till tomorrow for the bible says today is the day of salvation there there will be no second chance after that moment comes so on and they move the righteous as bold as a lion but the wicked flee okay so david came to onan and onan looked and saw david verse 21 and he went out from the threshing floor and bowed before david with his face to the ground then david said to onan grant me the place of this threshing floor that i may build an altar on it to the lord you shall grant it to me at the full price that the plague may be withdrawn from the people okay but onan said to david take it to yourself and let my lord the king do what is good in his eyes Look, I also give you the oxen for burnt offerings, the threshing implements for wood, and the wheat for the grain offerings. He said, I give it all. Now, this is where giving comes in here. We're in a time in the church now where there's all manner of attacks against the church, you know, in the area of giving and all of that. And I don't blame the people who are attacking the church because the Bible makes it clear that the natural man cannot understand the things of the spirit because they have what foolishness to him he says they cannot know it and that problem arose not being their fault it arose when you when people began to cancel new converts uh, you know people give their lives to christ and they tell them okay now you're born again you're going to read your bible excellent you're going to pray excellent and then they say to them you begin to pay your tithe that's where the problem begins because you see you look at this story when david said he sinned god did not say to him make me an altar an altar is a place of relationship what god was saying when he said to him make me an altar is i've accepted you now we're going to continue it was based on this relationship that was going to go forward that david was going to spend money you see it would be crazy for me if i left this meeting now and any young woman in fact i will be arrested or maybe shouted on if i walk about if i see any young lady especially beautiful one i just put fifty thousand in their hands what do you think is going to happen to me somebody might think is going to create excitement but any reasonable lady will slap me some people are saying no praise the lord you know why giving is as a result of relationship giving without relationship is almost an insult god has not said to everybody bring me this bring me an offering build me an altar no it is when there's a love relationship it is when something has happened between both of you that god now makes a request why is that so very important if you look at this story the bible told us two things it says onan saw the angel of the lord with his sword outstretched David saw the angel of the Lord with his sword astray. When God requested an altar, both of them were happy that some judgment that was to come upon them has been waved aside by God. So eagerly and with rejoicing, they were bringing their offering to the Lord. That's why the Bible says God loves what? A cheerful giver. When you try to walk people up and try to intimidate people and harass people to give, you get back what is happening on social media against the churches. But any man who walks out of a place of gratitude, you can't stop him from giving. You can't stop him. And that's what happened there. David asked for the floor. The man said, I give you the oxen. And I will give you the threshing implement. He said I will give up. Why? Because he was checking. You see, every one of us that at any point in time you're looking at me. And you think God needs your money. You don't know God. But when you know that God is a source of your money. Then you begin to see that giving is a privilege. I remember sometime in my life when my prayer was God. Please can I be able to give tight? 
in the sense that I was not earning, so there was nothing to give on. Can I be able to help? Can I be able to give something? Because I'd come from a time by the mercy of God where I'd given cars to the work of God. And all of a sudden, there is nothing to eat, nothing. And my heart was broken. I said, Lord, bless me so that I can give. Understanding is key in this matter. And people outside must not give. The only thing people outside must give is give their lives. Give their lives to Christ. You see, the word of God is very clear. It takes a lot of effort to confuse it. The Bible said, God did not have respect unto Cain and his offering. Anytime an offering is brought before the Lord, God looks at two things. He looks at the offerer and the offering. When the offerer is not acceptable, the offering is also rejected. So that is why when churches celebrate the amounts people give, but ignore the lifestyles of the givers, they are condoning and they are becoming partakers of other men's sins. You and I have to be sensitive. But if you have built a relationship with the Lord, and you are grateful for the blood of Jesus that washes your sins away, and under this pandemic, you know God has shielded you, and you've been claiming Psalm 91 all the while, but it has never occurred to you to give to the Lord because you're not going to church. You're doing yourself for one night. You think you're saving money. No, it's revelation. Because on and said, God, this thing for God, I give it all. David said, this thing for God, you can't take my place. That's what was happening. There was a struggle. And it was a struggle of who will bear the cost. Verse 24 says, Then King David said to Anand, that is the master one day, No, but I will surely buy it for what? The full price. I will surely buy it for the full price. For I will not take what is yours for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings without which costs me nothing. He said, my relationship with God cannot be sustained from your pocket. That's what he was saying. So, child of God, I'm asking you, can your pocket say exactly how much you love God? I know you've said, we've sung some songs here, Jesus at the center. Is it reflective in every area of your life? Is that gratitude flowing through? Or are you one of those who look for every opportunity to, you know, to avoid any manner of giving? So that it will be that you're free. No, when you do that, you put yourself in a very delicate situation. Because God is not watching your actions. He's watching your motives. And you must be able to prove to yourself that your worship is sincere. Remember, our Lord Jesus saying to the woman, at the he said, for the Father is seeking those who do what? Who worship in spirit and in truth. It's important that this relationship you and I have with God, we are able to examine ourselves. You know, so whether I'm in church or not, I have this relationship. Whether churches are meeting or not, I have this relationship. Whether this or this is happening, I have this relationship. I'm based on this relationship because the benefits of God have not been shut out from me because there was no physical meeting. In fact, he has been gooder, if I can use that word. Because there has been destruction all around us. But he has preserved me and my family. If that does not instigate in me an extra gratitude. And makes me want to say what shall I offer unto the Lord. What shall I give unto the Lord. Then it means that I might not have some things clearly understood. It means that I am looking at the form. Not the spirit of the word. So as we round up this you know, brief meditation today. David says here. I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. Let me conclude by saying something here. When God involved man, I think we said this recently. When God involved man in his world, because God made man in his image and his likeness, it was only reasonable that God did not do everything and let man do nothing. Even though God was omnipotent, when he created the garden, you know, uh, the garden of Eden, what did he say? He put the man whom he had formed and said what? That he should tend and keep it. What am I trying to say, brothers and sisters? I'm saying that your relationship with God, my relationship with God, must cost us something. Somebody is watching your friends. There are some friends that are hindering. You're going to the next level with God because you know that if you do what God has asked you to do, you will lose those friends or they will look down on you. If your relationship with God is not costing you anything, then you're not in a relationship. Some singer sang, you know, many years ago. He says, end no romance, what? Without finance. Now, this is beyond finance. Our Lord Jesus Christ made a statement. 
He said, if you're going to be my disciple, you are going to do what? He said, hate father, hate mother, hate brothers, hate sisters. What was he saying? He was saying in essence, he was saying that this relationship that you're going to have with me is going to put me so central in your life that every other relationship will be secondary. He didn't say because he's the one that said, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and then love your neighbor. He's not saying you can be mean to your father, your mother, your brothers or sisters. He's just going to say, he's saying, I will take the central position. It also means in some cases that this relationship with Christ may cost you your business. Somebody's watching, you're engaged in a business that you know is illegal. Not just that it's illegal because there are some things that are illegal that are ungodly. Your business is ungodly. And you know that the day you obey God, you will lose money. I beg you, please lose that money. Let this relationship cost you something. Because God is watching to reward somebody. God is watching to confirm you. God is watching to lift you beyond your imaginations. Father, we thank you. Lord, we give you the praise. We appreciate you for the time that we've spent. And we are asking that it will please you to breathe upon your word. And let it become life in us. Let this word be for the lifting, for the instruction, for the blessing of everyone who has heard. In the name of Jesus Christ. Finally, I just want to pray for joy. You see, what is joy? I've heard a few people recently, you know, depression and all of that. Depression is an outflow of disalignment. The joy of the Lord is what happens when you are in the center of God's will. Whenever you do what God wants you to do Sometimes it may be painful But you know what you get? Joy So I want to pray that the Lord will flood your hearts with joy That the Lord will fill you with joy The Bible says that we may be filled with all peace and joy In believing Father we give you praise Thank you our Father In Jesus Christ's name we pray Amen You've been listening to a message by Pastor Ike Naokeke of the Father's Church. We are sure you've been blessed. We invite you to worship with us at Eden Center, Banex Guarimpa Expressway, near Next Kashinkari, Abuja. For telephone 09-290-9000 or 0703-158804. You can find us online at www www.thefatherschurchonline.org God bless you.